Hi, everybody, and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Paige Lunson. We're glad to have you with us. You can find this episode and more for what it's worth on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Here at Raymond James, we know that having a long-term plan is key to achieving your goals and to weathering unexpected bumps along the way. Well, our featured guest today is no stranger either to strategic planning or to unexpected challenges because he's been tasked with planning Super Bowl 55 in a year like no other. I'm really pleased to welcome and introduce Peter O'Reilly, NFL Executive Vice President of Club Business and League Events. Peter, welcome. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thanks, Paige. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, look forward to it. We know that the Bucks and the Chiefs are going to face off in Raymond James Stadium on February 7th. But take us back in time. When did the planning for this event really begin? Well, it goes all the way back to October 2017, which is when Tampa Bay was awarded this Super Bowl. So the planning is really, you know, more than three years in the making and goes back before that to the bid process. So so much goes into that, uh, the planning of a Super Bowl and the way that the, the Tampa Bay community came together uh, in a Super Bowl that you may recall was originally planned to be in Los Angeles. Uh, that was pushed back a year and then Tampa had the good fortune of being awarded it. So a lot of work took place uh, in the building of a plan um, leading up to March of 2020 when, uh, when the world changed a bit. Prior to that world changing moment, was there already a backup plan, an emergency plan for the Super Bowl if the unexpected happened? Or did you and your team really start from scratch when the pandemic hit? Um, there's always in our business and in so many business, you always have contingency plans and backups and you always think about, you know, what would be a possible market or stadium if we needed to move a game, something catastrophic. Um, but there certainly wasn't, um, uh, like most businesses, a pandemic playbook that we could pull off the shelf for putting on a Super Bowl during the pandemic. A pandemic, so it was it was a, a learning curve for everybody and uh, a coming together to think about what will this be, what will be different, and how do we still achieve our goals safely um, at Super Bowl Fifty Five. Tell us a little bit more about the planning process, because I've heard that the amount of time you were able to spend on site in Tampa Bay was a little bit more limited than it would have been otherwise because of safety protocols. How did you work around that? A lot of uh, video conferences like this one and a lot of a lot of work using the technology that exists. And, you know, we you're right. Typically, we would be on the ground in Tampa a lot and visiting Raymond James Stadium and, and being on the ground here. And we obviously had to limit that um, and started to build our planning cycle where only be on the ground if you have essential things you need to see and, and work you need to be done. But all of the, the pre-work and then kind of the post-briefing was all done you know, via platforms like this. So it really limited. I personally came down here uh, to two Bucks games this fall, was down here on the ground um, so it was a reliance on that. And I will say reliance on incredible partners in Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Super Bowl host committee, the Buccaneers, our partners here at the stadium, um, and then our, the public officials down here. Uh, I can't count the number of times where I said, can you just, you know, FaceTime and show me what that looks like? I can't be down there. And that's, you know, that's just the reality of what we did. And you, you kind of work through it. When we're talking about this upcoming game, 
we've heard that about 22,000 seats in the stadium will be filled. Now, Raymond James Stadium can hold up to a max of about 75,000 in total. So we're looking at just under a, a 30% capacity. How was that number arrived at? There's, there's two parts uh, that make up that 22,000. There's there are 14,500 um, ticket holders who are non-vaccinated. So th those are the that's kind of the core um, Super Bowl manifest, if you will. And that really goes back to what we established over the summer and through the season with our protocols, working with our medical experts um, and with local authorities. And those are these physically distanced pods in the stadium where you are separated from your, you know, the other pods in there. And really we learned a ton from other stadiums, including Raymond James Stadium, where we saw what the Bucks did during the season. So that that's that 14,500. And then the balance of that, the 7,500 to get you to the 22 um, are vaccinated healthcare workers. And uh, as we saw mid-December and we saw the first shots going into arms, we started to have the conversation with our medical experts, with the CDC around, could it be possible? Is the timing right where you would have enough people um, with two shots of the Moderna or Pfizer vaccine to be able to invite them with two goals? One, to thank them and honor them and celebrate them for all they've done over this past year and will continue to do. And secondly, to use the platform we're fortunate to have to, to advocate for the efficacy of the vaccine and, and hopefully what will help us get to a bit of normalcy soon. So that's the breakdown of the 22,000 and, and proud and, and humbled for a large portion of them to be our guests with free tickets at the Super Bowl. You mentioned that there will be more of pod seating spread throughout the stadium. For these healthcare workers and fans who are in attendance, what other differences might there be between this Super Bowl and Super Bowls in the past? Paige, a lot. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I think we, we focused all season long on a couple of key priorities. Health and safety were one, two, and three. So that really drove, drove and continues to drive every, every element and every decision. And then it was getting the core right. You want to get the football game right. <laughs> There's a lot that goes into the Super Bowl, but you want to get the football game right, the participating teams, the broadcast, and then there are concentric circles that go out from there that, that we've focused on. Um, but it will be different. You know, things that, that, that hopefully are obvious, but... Every, every staff member, every vaccinated or non-vaccinated attendee at the game will be wearing a mask and that is, that is mandatory. We're giving every person who sets foot into the stadium a KN95 mask uh, as they enter along with sanitary, you know, with wipes and, and, uh, and uh, you know, number of other elements. But it, it will be, it'll be different, but I would expect, um, that 22,000 people are going to make a quite a bit of noise and that the energy will still be incredible in here. And then the one other point that comes to mind is really every year, the Super Bowl is a pretty unifying moment um, and a positive moment um, where we all come together. And in this country, you know, 110 million people or so watch the game. Um, we think this game, both for those in stadium and those tens of millions watching around the world, there'll be some really powerful unifying moments um, prior to and during this game that uh, will give us a little bit of joy and a little bit of perspective as we head uh, as we head beyond this challenging year. There are always plenty of non-football fans who are also watching this game. 
I think one big reason for that might be the halftime show. So can you tell us anything about what goes into the planning process for these huge halftime productions? Yeah, it's a uh, it's interesting because not only is this probably the the biggest event that's been put on during the pandemic, kind of within it at a halftime is the it's always and this I say completely humbly is is one of the biggest concerts of the year takes place within the within the Super Bowl at the halftime of the Super Bowl, but there hasn't been a live concert um, really since March. So it's been a really interesting process to, to build out the plan, working with the weekend and his team who is gonna put on a, just a spectacular show. Um, but there are things that are gonna be different. And I think as we sat with the producers at the start, it was, let's look at, and this is what so many companies have done. Let's look at what we're trying to achieve here and not kind of bend to the pandemic and do it differently but let's think about how do we look at the state, how do we look at Raymond James Stadium, which I'm sitting in right now, um, and think about the spaces and where we build out this show because some of the things we'd normally do, uh, we wouldn't do during the pandemic and, and wouldn't do during this halftime. So it has been um, a really fascinating process and one that's been really gratifying to work through, again, with The weekend and his team and Rock Nation on what this show will be and we're um there are definitely a few surprises in store so we're excited for it i can't wait to see them this is going to be the first time in history that a super bowl team is playing in their home stadium we're so excited that it's raymond james stadium has that changed anything about the planning process for these last couple weeks since this community is just so excited about the game yeah it's definitely um you know, we talk every year, we've come close in some other years to making history and then um, leave it to this this year and this season for history to be made. So um, it has changed some things. Um, honestly, there are certain things that would have been really operationally challenging that didn't come to fruition. If the Buccaneers had hosted an NFC championship game in Raymond James Stadium, and if we had had to do some things that we were considering in our contingency plans, like collapsing the off week between the championship games and the Super Bowl, that would have been really challenging operationally. Um, in some ways, this was the best possible scenario for having a home team in the game and the way it played out with the Bucks on the road through the playoffs and then coming home for the Super Bowl. Um, but it is, as we work through and we sit here in the, the days leading up to Super Bowl, there are a lot of things to consider, including this point that I think most people would appreciate and, and understand. It's it's not a Buccaneers home game. It's a Super Bowl where the Buccaneers are the home team. And that may sound nuanced, um, but we still try to create as much equity as possible around the Super Bowl in terms of, you know, how we portray the two teams, what the presentation of the game is. So that that makes for some, you know, some some good and fun conversations as you try to strike the right balance page. What's something that you think most viewers at home wouldn't know about this event? It is, uh, you know, a few things. It really, to me, is you think about Super Bowl as this big, massive stage, and and you know, you think about the football aspects, the commercial aspects, the music aspects, and um, having been fortunate enough to have been in this role. Um, at the NFL for about 15 years now, but in this role overseeing Super Bowl for the last six, um, it really is an incredibly tight-knit family 
the family that comes together every year for Super Bowl. Um, and they're a group that I'm so incredibly proud of. So it's so big and has this um, cachet that we, we're so proud of, but the, the core who come together to put it on are really a, a super tight family, an incredibly tight group. And I, I give one example of that. I was here at Raymond J Stadium a little bit late last night around nine o'clock and I looked out on the field um, and 91 year old George Toma was out on the field He's our the longtime Super Bowl groundskeeper, and George turns 92 on February 2nd. And he was checking the grass one last time before going home for the night. And, and George has been part of that Super Bowl family for so, so many Super Bowls. So it's those little personal things that, to me, um, people may not understand about what we do. How do you think the adjustments and the, the creative problem solving that went into this year's Super Bowl might influence future Super Bowls or future NFL seasons? I think in tons of ways. I think we have seen that, and again, in so many industries have seen this, but it's created this acceleration. Things that were in our pipeline that were coming and made sense for many reasons, but made particular sense this year for health and safety reasons. So whether that was something like mobile ticketing, um, nearly every single one of our fans and we had more than 1.2 million fans enter stadiums this year in, in the limited capacity stadiums. Nearly every one of them entered on a mobile ticket, and this will be the first all-mobile Super Bowl. This will also be the first uh, cashless Super Bowl. So working with our partners to make sure that that experience is a great fan experience and a safe experience. Touchless here at Raymond James Stadium, the, the, the innovations and the upgrades that have been done have been accelerated, and that will continue forth. And then I think we've learned that to take and ultimately we'll take the best of both worlds, the best of the virtual world, and we all want to come back together and we want to be at live events together in great stadiums. Um, but there were some really great parts of the virtual world that, that brought you closer and allowed you to see things that you wouldn't normally see. We learned that at the NFL draft. We're learning that around Super Bowl. So I think you take that hybrid, you bring, and hopefully as we come out of the pandemic, you've got the best of both worlds, the virtual and the physical. For you as a corporate leader, what has it been like to navigate all of the challenges of this year? You know, I, I feel so fortunate to be in a role where it has been, we've been able to have our full season. We've been able to, to you know, from that March period where we all kind of lift our head up and said, what are we doing here? Um, we've been able to, to work through the draft and through the season. And I think what I take away the most, being able to work with, with my team and, and kind of this, this family that we have, it's a little bit of the humanity that, that, it, that we've all felt. It's, you know, we've been in our living rooms and kitchens having, you know, video conferences and talking it through and just people have, it's been so hard on people and isolating in many ways, but it's been, been humanizing. And a, as a leader, the ability to just kind of connect with the team and in many ways, though it sounds counterintuitive, get that much closer with my colleagues and team members because we're going through this together um, and just understand kind of stuff that, that people's lives are all about that, that's important beyond just the work we're doing together. To me, that's, that's been one of those silver linings that, that hopefully, and, and I know will continue, just a bit of humanity. 
Peter, we're so appreciative for your perspective. I have one final question for you. After going through all of this and, and planning Super Bowl 55, what guidance do you have for the other professionals out there that are trying to plan events and stay connected virtually with teammates and, and engage their clients? What advice do you have for them? Yeah, I think I may not have the most sage advice here um, or earth shattering, but to me, what, what's grounded us throughout this whole year is just coming back to core objectives and what you're trying to achieve. That's what we did at each kind of um, roadblock that was thrown our way, whether that was the draft or Super Bowl, it was, okay, let's just come back on the whiteboard to what we're trying to achieve here. How do we, how do, we do right by fans? How do we do right by players? How do we do right by our partners? And then let's just figure out the ways to do that. And there were normally solves. And there were normal, as long as you had those core objectives and then kind of the principles that you weren't gonna deviate from, within this case, it was health and safety, but having those objectives and those principles and values, that's basic stuff, but it's the fundamental stuff that you need to always come back to. So that's, that's, what, I would, that's what I would say. Um, and, you know, and, and keeping options open. We always, we didn't close a lot of doors until we had to, if, that's, if that makes sense. We, we, kept, we kept those doors open. It wasn't, we didn't lock into a capacity at the Super Bowl before we had to, because we wanted to understand and keep options open. And that, um, I believe, served us well up until today. Peter O'Reilly, NFL Executive Vice President of Club Business and League Events. Peter, thank you so much again for sitting down and chatting with me today. We all really appreciate it. Thanks, Paige. Really enjoyed it. Um, it was fantastic. Thanks for having me. Everyone, thank you for joining us. You can find this episode on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so be sure to subscribe to catch all our latest episodes. For what it's worth, I'll see you next time.